My name is Merrill Zubro, CEO of Mark Research and the chair of the MSMR Program Advisory Board at Michigan State. I am so excited to be part of Spartan Insights. Spartan Insights is a series of podcasts that I'll be hosting and interviewing one of the 350 alumni and 60 board members from the Michigan State Marketing Research Program. Today's guest on Spartan Insights is Don DeVoe, Professor of Practice, MSMR Program at Michigan State University. Don, thanks so much for being a guest on Spartan Insights. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Meryl. All right, Don, let's get into it a little bit. You have a really interesting career. You've worked both on the supplier side and the client side. Can you just, for the listeners, just give a little bit of background so we can put this into context in your career, please? Yeah, sure. So I'm definitely one of those people who, you know, if you asked me, did do you think you would have ended up where you did? I would say no. My career, I think like a lot of people, just happened. When I started at General Motors, I knew nothing about the automotive industry. I was during a recession and I was an industrial engineer looking for a manufacturing company. Funny enough, I never actually really practiced as an industrial engineer. I worked in systems. I quickly realized that I wanted to go back to grad school and work on the other end of the chain with the consumers because I started at the manufacturing end. I liked that, but I wanted to end up on the other side. I thought I'd spend my whole career at General Motors. It's such a large diversified company that I could literally do anything that I might be interested in. So from engineering as I did, manufacturing, over to brand management, product planning, sales forecasting, a number of different things. The challenge for me at General Motors was the one thing I really wanted to do was run a business unit. And by the time that I was approaching 40, it was pretty obvious that to get that kind of experience, it would take longer than I was hoping for. So I saw an opportunity to move to a very small research company that I had been affiliated with. And I was actually looking to maybe go to another manufacturer and through networking, ended up at a small research company. And that's how I moved over to the supplier side. That's interesting. So let's talk a little bit about just a couple of takeaways from the client side. When I think about your career, General Motors, huge company, one of the largest companies in the world. I know you worked for a small company that got purchased and then ultimately you worked for GFK. You're talking about two large companies. Navigating those companies from a big time perspective when not everybody gets noticed you know, any takeaways or any insights or best practices for the students in terms of that? Yeah, absolutely. So the one thing I'd say is that through my experience, that even though you're at a large company like that, is you try to make it small and make it personal. So I always felt, whether I was at a division at General Motors, I worked in three different marketing divisions or a corporate planning staff or whatever, that the group you're with is your family. That's your department. That's your home. And you knew that there were all these other departments that you were interacting with, but you just try to control and work with the group you have. And then try to make connections. Relationships are so important. So if you can build those connections with not only your people in your department, but then to all the other stakeholders that you're going to interact with, you can be very successful in navigating through. And you'll find out. I was pleasantly surprised that I'd find out that your reputation does precede you. For example, at GFK, working at a very large international company, I started by running the U.S. automotive division and ended up being put into a global role. And when I started to go out and interact with people, I was surprised that they knew about me and I had to learn a little bit about them. And you just build this relationship through just your interactions that you have by email or meetings and things like that. And it really helps when you can kind of make those personal connections because you can rely on them later on. And I think that really helped me in my career. 
There's some really nice takeaways there for sure. And I like how you frame that because I'm actually a little jealous of something that you said, something that you did, something that you experienced. And I hate that word jealous, but if you said, hey, Meryl, I'm like the king of the world and I'm going to give you a do-over, what would you do different? I would say, you know what, Don, I would have gone overseas for a couple of years. I would have had that international experience and I never did get that. Is there anything that you could give to the listeners, to the next generation of superstars that will be graduating from the MSMR program that can help them because doing business overseas from an international perspective is totally different than doing it in the United States. Well, I mean, actually, I'd probably challenge that a little bit. I mean, for me, it was the automotive industry. So I went to Japan or I went to China. There were certain norms. Same with going to Germany, for example. But what was great about it was it all came back to the customer. It all came back to being successful and helping those clients be successful. And there was a lot of mutual respect and admiration for work that was done in different places. What was really enjoyable for me was almost the international UN aspect of it. I remember I would host our global automotive meeting and we'd invite 150, 200 researchers from around the world, they'd present papers and things. And it really was this kind of bringing together of countries and the way that they behaved. And I mean that with joviality, but it was so great to see how everybody was excited to interact and share best practices and kind of learn from each other. And that's what I really liked about working in that international environment, because I wasn't sure if it would be very much a bunch of fiefdoms, right? Of everybody being protective, but instead it was, how can I help you? I did this. Can that help you over here somewhere else? And people were very proud to share. And that, to me, that's what made the job so much fun. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, I was talking about the customs, the way that people kind of communicate overseas and the way that they, you know, nod their head and they say yes. And in the U.S., that's somebody saying, yes, I'm on board. I'm going to sign where in another country, it's a little bit different. It can be taken out of context, which is interesting. So you were on the advisory board of the MSMR Michigan State program, and now you're a professor of practice. How did that all happen? Were you on the advisory board and you said, wow, there's so much excitement at Michigan State. You know, I want to go to the classroom. I really liked being on the advisory board. I mean, definitely our firm got something out of it. You know, we got access to these wonderful students that we were hiring interns and then hiring full time. So I enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed being part of providing input into the curriculum and interacting with all the fellow board members. And I wanted that to continue. I remember approaching Dr. Sprague and saying, hey, I'm going to be retiring. Is there a way for me to stay involved? And I wasn't sure what that would be. And he said, no. And I went, oh, okay. Well, I wasn't sure because I figured I'd be working. <laughs> but yeah. if you'd be interested in teaching, you know, we might have a role for you. And he described then the work that we do in the summer and in other cases now with working with students on projects. And that was really appealing to me because it was a chance to continue to have this connection with the program, with the students, to share experiences that I've had and kind of give that perspective, such as it is from my own experience, and if that can be helpful in any way. So we started out with one course, actually the one I'm teaching now, it's an elective project course. You know, just had to jump right into it two weeks after retiring. Now I'm, I think, pretty integrated into the program and it's been wonderful. I am retired, yeah. but, yeah. you know, I don't consider what I'm doing to be work. Yeah. Well, with the pandemic, you know, you were teaching in the classroom and now I imagine you're teaching online, right? Whether Correct. it's a Zoom call or, okay. How hard a transition was that? Was it challenging for you or did you kind of gravitate that pretty easily? I mean, it was pretty easy for me. I know the students, it was a little bumpy, but for me, I mean, as I said, my international background, I worked at home yep. in the last few years of my career. 
I was actually, strangely enough, heading up training and development for GFK. And I had teams in London and in Paris and in Bulgaria. I was here in Michigan, where I'm sitting right now. So I would see them when I traveled, but we did everything by phone call and Zoom. So I just kind of went back to that. And even before that, I had offices in California. So I was just very used to getting on the phone and just talking to people and having that kind of interaction. So Zoom is a wonderful thing because of all the tools we can use. But the nice thing is the students were very adaptable and flexible. They rolled with it just like we did. And the other thing is we had already, I think in my case, and certainly with other professors, you know, we have our materials laid out. So we can quickly just think about this is just another way to deliver the same thing. So it went I think very smoothly. Obviously we had glitches, but yeah, I have to say I enjoy teaching in person. I think many of the students like it, but I think we need to and should be comfortable with both forms. Yeah, I miss it too. I presented a lot of conferences, as you know, and I'd rather connect in person and on a Zoom call can be challenging if you can't see the faces and can't see, okay, is this idea resonating with the attendees? It's a little challenging. I've gotten more comfortable over time, and I'm sure a lot of the professors at Michigan State have as well. So in the classroom, when you're thinking about the next generation of great insight professionals, give us a list of maybe two or three must-have qualifications to be an amazing, talented insight professional. Wow. Just two or three? Oh, well, you can give me it. Listen, we can build a list. And I know all of the students will rewind it to get the list. Whatever list you want to go with, we'll go with. How's that? Yeah. So I may take a slightly different tack. You know, we do such, I think, a great job, I hope, of preparing them for the knowledge about the tools in the toolbox to be a research professional. So all of the foundational knowledge they need to know as market researchers. I think we've definitely successfully pivoted over to talk about what you need to do You could be a great researcher and collect all the information, but you have to be able to deliver it in a compelling way. And so I am pleased that we are spending time preparing students to be critical thinkers, to be able to interact and ask questions and be curious and to just think about the world through the lens of the consumer, but also through the lens of what is the business question we're trying to ask. And that's a challenge. I mean, many researchers want to go back to the methodology. So I know one thing I spend a lot of time when I take students through things is think about the application and to think about the end result and kind of work backwards. Think about your audience and what it is you're trying to communicate. And you will probably frame what you're doing in a different way. So I think being a great communicator, I think being someone who's intellectually curious and always willing to learn And then third, to be flexible and adapt because our industry clearly and everything, as we just talked about, is subject to many changes and always will be. You know, I like the way you frame that with always want to learn. And I know that a friend of mine called it lifelong learning, which is great. And listen, I'm probably a smidge older than you, if I had to guess, or pretty darn close. But, you know, I still learn. A year and a half ago, I took a pickleball, and now I'm a pretty good pickleball player, and I've played in a bunch of tournaments, done okay. But, I mean, listen, a professor is constantly learning. What have you learned in the last, say, four to six months? And not only that, but how do you learn? Because I think it's an important takeaway for the students to always be learning and find ways to learn, even with people in their 50s or later in their career. Yeah, so I've got to admit that the amount of information that is available now makes it very easy to learn. It also makes it very challenging because there's so much information. You know, I think you roll with what you're comfortable with. So I like to watch videos and I like to search on Google to find out how to do things. So 
we've incorporated some new tools from our advisory board companies. And so I used video interviews, for example, this summer in class, and we used on a number of different projects. And it was just a matter of getting your expert in to share with you. And I always try to start from the basics. Just show me first, what is this all about? What's the purpose? Then how do I do it? And then show me some examples. I learn a lot through examples. And that's something I try to use in class a lot. You know, I think people learn from experience and trying it themselves. And it's okay to make mistakes along the way. You can get too much where it's thrown at you. Like, okay, here's the list. Memorize that, right? It's about application. And I think that's how you internalize it. And so that's how I learn. And that's what I try to use when I'm teaching the students. That's great. You know, daily, I read Morning Brew, which tends to be a very quick email newsletter, kind of a review of what happened the day prior, talks a little bit about the stock market and some other things and trends and kind of some funny stuff. I also Mm -hmm. read Mashables because it's quick. And with my ADD, I need stuff that's quick that I frankly can get to the point after 20 seconds because then I'll get bored. I really like the articles and the charts and the graphs on eMarketer. I just think that it really frames it well for somebody who tends to be a visual person. Is there something that you read daily or weekly, Dawn, that could help the next generation of stars? So I tend to focus now that I'm teaching marketing management, and I've always been fascinated by this. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I was excited to go to Northwestern at the time, because they were kind of rising up in the MBA world for marketing, always been fascinated with the end consumer. Many of the things that I love to hear from the students when we ask them, why are you in this program? To understand how consumers make decisions and how can brands be more effective and all that. So I found this nice collection of newsletters, e-newsletters, Marketing Dive and Restaurant Dive. And I find those give like little snapshots. They'll review an ad or some marketing action that somebody took and just recap it and talk about what the implications are. And that just helps me keep current because I spent my whole career in automotive and I wasn't as focused except as an end consumer in the other markets. So it's just fun to kind of see how somebody dissects that thinking process in the marketing world. That's marketingdive.com. Is that what it is? That's how the newsletters come in is it says marketing dive. I'd have to go look up what the source is. When we're done today here, I'm going to Google that and take a look at that. All right, Don, last question. What advice would you give the current students of the MSMR program? Just, you know, a hidden secret, a hidden gem, a best practice as they graduate in the next year or so. What advice would you give them? So when I talk about careers, first of all, many students are wondering, like, should I go client or supplier side? My answer always is it doesn't matter. Whatever you get from one experience, as I have shown, you can apply to the other and vice versa. So there is no magic answer about what order you enter the marketplace. Two, if you're taking a job to start, it is not a lifelong sentence. Like I worked at GM for 17 years before I decided to switch and worked another 17 at GFK. That was my choice because I was enjoying it so much. But you can move around. You can try different things. They'll hear from a bunch of speakers in my seminar about that who have had varied careers who have moved around a bit more than I did. I'd say that when you get on the job, I guess I'd have three pieces of advice. The first thing is to, as we already talked about, be ready to learn and absorb everything that's in front of you. Just be a sponge. And don't be afraid to go outside your comfort zone and try new things because this is the time to do it. When you're early on in your career, find out if you like something. At least get that under your belt. Try some new technique or something. Of course, always be trying new things, but find out what really is your passion. Two, I guess I'd say take initiative, but it's okay to ask for help. I want to see people who are very proactive and dependable and just kind of jumping in and really trying to be very good at what they do. But it's okay to raise your hand and your boss will appreciate that. 
And I guess the third thing kind of talked about at the beginning is this idea of just getting along with everybody. Volunteer, be a great communicator, give people status updates, reach out to help out your teammates. If you get that kind of reputation that you're just a great person to work with, who's always there and always willing to help out, that will help you tremendously as you try to think about what you want to do in your career, because you will have this excellent reputation and people will want to help you out. It's just human nature. Oh, that's great. Don, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate your time today and Spartan Insights. My name is Merrill Dubrow. Thanks for listening.